You're listening to episode 73 with Ben Brugler, president and CEO of IKEA Communications. This episode is brought to you by MasterMeter. Hi, this is Steve Sanders, director of the Environmental Training Center at Mooresville State College. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the value of communicating about diversity and inclusion in the water sector. Uh, it's Water in Real Life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Arian Shipley. If there's one thing I can be certain of when it comes to you, it's that you love water. And if you're a water utility looking to manage your water you love, then you'll want to talk to our friends over at MasterMeter. They understand that you can't manage what you don't measure, and smart water management begins with accurate measurement. Account for every drop produced and delivered because the utility's progression towards smart cities and IoT begins here. We're trying to be the game changers of communication, and our partner, MasterMeter, is here to deliver game-changing results for you across finance, customer service, and utility operations. They offer an array of products to meet your utility's needs. To determine which smart water metering solution is right for you, visit MasterMeter.com. Well, water nerds, you know that we're always preaching audience, audience, audience. And so if we're going to be talking about workforce as much as we are in the industry and attracting the next generation of folks into the workforce, then we have to have a pretty under, pretty solid understanding of that audience. And you know what? It's not millennials. Millennials are already in their 30s having kids. They've been in the industry. We need to get the next gen, which is Generation Z. So we saw Ben do a presentation called Don't Z on Generation Z at the Nagua Stratcoms conference. And we knew that we had to have him on. And so this is a very important, uh, noteworthy interview about a lot of the things that make Gen Z unique and a lot of like tips on ways that we can attract them to our industry because our industry actually has a lot of things that are very appealing and attractive to them. Uh, We're at like this monumental time in their workforce because there are five different generations actively in the workforce now. So it's really important to understand how each of us uh, generations are a little bit different, how we communicate, how we engage, how we interact. And we need to be mindful of that as we work to build cultures in our organizations that folks want to work for. This is super important because 30% of employees don't feel like they are engaged at work. And that's a huge piece of the culture of the organization. And culture is what keeps people around. Uh, 30% of people leave in the first six months of a job. And think about how much time, effort, and money goes into attracting and training and getting people set. And for them to leave six months later is uh, it's a travesty, really. So. Um, We need to be making sure that we're understanding these different generations, how they work together, building those cultures within our organization and doing whatever we need to do um, to make those cultures appealing and attractive so that people stay and stay with us and uh, help us run the water industry into the future. So get your notepads ready, get them out. Without further ado, let's get to the show. Ben Brugler holds the titles of President and CEO of IKEA. He previously held the titles of President and Vice President before being transitioned into his current position in 2018. Under Ben's leadership, the agency has grown from 15 to more than 60 employees, earning a spot as a top 100 workplace in Northeast Ohio, as well as placement on the Weatherhead 100 list of fastest growing companies in the region. With more than 15 years of experience in the industry, Ben is well-known among clients and the 
regional business community as a master facilitator and speaker on topics ranging from content marketing to thought leadership positioning. In 2011, he was named to Crane's 40 Under 40 for his contributions to Akia's growth. So we're super excited to have Ben with us today. Um, Shout out on the 40 Under 40. We are on the Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth Inc., Fort Worth Magazine, Fort Worth Inc.'s 40 Under 40. So nice. Congratulations. We're in good company here. We're all... uh, (laughs) Well, enjoy the 40 Under 40 tag while you can. It's uh, I I no longer qualify for that, but I made a point (laughs) as long as I could to tell people, the especially emphasis on the under. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, you just motivated and inspired me to do more of that. So, because yeah, I only your business have, card. Yeah, okay. I only have a few years left to be able to say that. So, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so excited to have you here. Um, we got to hear Ben speak at the NACWA Strategic Communications Conference in June this year, and. I ran across the ballroom after he was done and said, oh my gosh, we, uh, we need to chat. So, um, but before we get into, before we get into that, uh, our old boss at the last utility we worked for, he started as a field guy and is now the director of the water utility that he started out. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you have a very similar started from the bottom, now you're here story at IKEA. Um, and, you know, looking over at your topics that you speak on, which include things like business integration, internal comms, work-life balance. These are all areas to me that really speak to the importance of the culture of a workplace. So speaking from experience, what is it about IKEA that has kept you engaged there throughout your career? Well, you know, I... Well, first of all, thanks for having me on here. You're welcome. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, I was excited when I met you guys. And um, yeah, but the, um, I, you know, I'm pretty lucky because the culture was in place when I started at IKEA and it was only, I was the eighth employee. So, mm. um, you know, we, we have fluctuated in growth from 20 to 40, from 40 to 30, from 30 to 60, from 60 to 50, you know, mm-hmm. um, as most agencies do. But the culture has really been the thing that's, you know, stayed in place for the most part. And in that, wrapped in that is just the fact that we want to connect with our clients and with employees and with the communities we're working in. Mm-hmm. And so for almost 20 years, I've been fortunate enough, whether it was starting as a, an account coordinator and having to ask questions and learn from the people at the agency, or now the role I'm in um, as CEO and talking to other leaders and company leaders and you know, senior members of our clients, just about what's keeping them up at night, um, challenges they're facing, an opportunity to learn from them. Um, no day is the same. And I know it sounds cliche, but it really does come down to the people. So yeah. the fact that we've had that culture built in from the beginning, um, it's just a different group of people that you're getting to talk to year over year. And we've had great people in and out of our doors and great clients, but um, that's been the constant. And when you have something like that, it's just a new chance to learn every day. So I led with that cult, that question about culture because I think culture is uh, incredibly important and speaks, I mean, that speaks a lot to me about the organization that you work for. I talk about our, our boss because I know that one of the big reasons that he was there was because of the people and because of the culture that were there. And you were speaking on a topic as, at NACWA as it related to workforce, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about that and communications role in that. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that 
I wanted to lead with culture because I think that that's such an absolute important part of not only bringing people in, but keeping people once we get them there and, you know, being able to talk about communications role in that. So I thought that was really cool that you have grown with your company um, because you don't really see that a lot more. So I just, I wanted to take a minute and let you kind of share a little bit about that story with us. So. Yeah, I'm glad you did. Yeah. I love talking about that. And, um, it's hard. I mean, retention's hard. I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but, um, the good news is with Gen Z, I think that, um, we're seeing the reversal of some retention trends, which I know we're, you know, know something you and I have hit on, but, um, that's, I think, something we're going to start to see more of, which is why it's so important for companies to have these cultures in place. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, just recently, our friend Megan U. Schneider, shout out, commented <laughs> on LinkedIn that we, as in the water industry, need to stop talking about preparing for the next gen and then reference millennials. Millennials are already here, and the word has become ubiquitous with the younger generations. Mm-hmm. So that was exactly what you were talking about at NACWA um, presentation about this Gen Z. Mm-hmm. So what exactly, who is Gen who Z? Who is Gen Z? Who are oh, you? <laughs> who is Gen Z? Um, so funny thing, before, before I get into who's Gen Z, so you mentioned about next generation, then millennials. Yeah. And I'm going to forget who told me this, so I'll, I won't try and sort. I, I didn't say it, but somebody I was talking to Gen Z about said, um, when people are talking about generations, they still reference millennials mm-hmm. and think millennials are like 20-somethings. And it's like, no, we're, we're in our thirties. We have yeah. kids. Like we're not. And so then somebody else jumped in and said, yeah, it just basically proves the point that the, the previous, the next generation doesn't like the young kids. It's yeah. like those, those young kids, that younger generation. And it's the same thing with millennials. And they've, they've received, like, they've probably been beat up the worst of any generation. Oh yeah. Um, just because at first they were like these millennials. Then it was like millennials are killing everything, and now they don't even get the credit they deserve as like being a, a mature, like a maturing generation. Tackling debt, so, you know, yeah. populating it's, the world. Life's real, man. I mean, that's take it from a Gen Z, um, but the or take it from Gen X. So you have Gen Z now, and Gen Z is like this huge gap. And I'm going to get in that second. It's almost like this 22 year generation. It's like how do you just lump everybody? together because the oldest of Gen Z is now starting to get into the workforce at 22. And whereas the youngest is like this digitally native generation, like basically my, maybe my nine year old or even younger, mm-hmm. I have a nine and a 13 year old. And you know, they both kind of say the same thing. We were talking earlier about Wi-Fi being out. It's like, what do we do now? And it recently came out. I put it in my newsletter. I don't know if you guys saw it last week that it's just broke about this gen alpha which is like a yes. sub segment within Gen Z, which we're makes a lot of a. sense. Yeah, yeah we're back at A. <laughs> we, we are. It, so and, it, and they totally own it as alpha is the beginning. Oh, uh, boy. But it's like you can't just have this 20-year generation here. You have to have some breakouts. So like now nine and under are like these Gen Alphas, which are basically like oh boy, the really scary ones that are going to rule everything because they have no fear of anything digital or tech. Oh my God. Oh God. My children. Yeah. So this is where AI comes in and like right. now we're going to be like iRobot and yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. They, no, nothing, nothing phases. Except phases mine. Them, mine will be weird because they're on a farm and there's no internet. Well, Just, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, that is that's weird. Like, that's like too crazy here. <laughs> no, but the, the thing is, is like these, the, the Gen Z has, it, you know, they kind of will bring balance to the force, you know, a little nerd speak there. But the thing is, is that <laughs> they are because they aren't 
I think people were afraid of like how they were going to grow up on screens and be completely disconnected and detached. But in reality, it's actually helped them try to, it's, they understand about balancing it because they've grown up with parents looking at their phones. Mm-hmm. Guilty. I've, you know, I've done that. Um, people maybe like for me, my generation was wear your seatbelt. Now it's texting and driving. So to, to today, I, I, there's no way I would have worn my seatbelt. It's, it's a fact. Yeah. Whereas they're going to be like, why would I be on my phone when I'm driving? Like, yeah. that's, it's kind of carried it. So they've, known, they've learned how to balance it. And it's really interesting because they're starting to take some of these older school tactics and blend them with like newer technology and newer ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And that's really going to impact the workforce mm-hmm. a lot, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas people were, the hang up with millennials were, well, they're entitled and we, ha- we have to talk to them about their career path and everything else. Well, I, didn't, I never really saw that as a bad thing because you want engaged employees, but so be it. Whereas Gen Z is coming in and saying, yeah, I already know. I'm here to work. I'm here to stay. I'm here to learn. Just, just tell me what I need to do. Point me in the right direction. And then they'll hold you accountable. So mm-hmm. it's going to completely change, I think, the way people work. And in some cases, the culture, because we talked earlier about having that culture established. Now, if it's not established, we're going to lose a whole generation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, to go to your point already where we're talking, or to go to the initial point that we talked about how, especially in our industry, we hear still a lot of talk about millennials and the income. Like, I think in your presentation, you said that even by next year in 2020, like 20% of the workforce is already going to be Gen Z. And so yeah. again, like they're already here. So Let's here. start figuring this out. <laughs> the oldest are here. The, I mean, the, yeah. the 22 year olds and it'll play into, and then we're going to talk later about education and training, but it's going to play into, you might even have people in the workforce earlier than before, mm-hmm. which is something we haven't had to deal with. I mean, not, not tremendously early, but the fact is some of these kids are looking at two year programs to get into sure. the workforce faster. And they're putting the onus on the, um, companies and the businesses to continue their training. They're like, let me get hired. You train me. It's on you to provide these programs, but I'm going to be the one really learning and running with it. So even that's going to change. Yeah. yeah I'm really sense. excited to get to that part. Yeah. That would make sense for, well, I'll wait then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm jumping ahead. It's getting Sorry. excited. <laughs> Go down some tangents. So in your presentation, you walked us through four of the biggest myths surrounding Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Which one stands out to you the most? Or maybe which one was the most surprising for you to learn? Um, it probably the same answer for both. It's okay. it's the third it's the third one I referenced, which is Gen Z will only communicate on digital channels. Yes, uh, which is like, hey, how's that true? Because we just said that they grew up digitally, uh, digitally native. But the fact is, and I have um, I have some some of the stats in that that um, you know I was going to reference if it if it came up. But the thing is because of what I said about they've grown up with their parents mm-hmm. you know, on, on devices a lot. And, you know, of course they're used to it in the classroom. Um, that's actually reversed it a little bit, whereas they see that as this invasion of privacy. Sure. For them. So they look at it as more like if I need to use it, I'll use it. I'll use it between these hours. But then on my own time, I'm going to be a lot more private and a lot more guarded with my information mm-hmm. because I grew up and like, this is being hacked. That's being hacked. Yeah. And th- there's a softer side to it too. And I'll, I'll just read from, read from the presentation, but there's a softer side because people there, this generation is recognizing that um, what this could potentially do to their soft skills, meaning like the people skills and things that we need today. Yeah. So they look at the stat was 37% of this generation where that technology is weakening their ability to maintain 
these interpersonal relationships and develop good people skills. And when you flip that and look at it the other way, 74% want to communicate face-to-face versus Mm -hmm. in-office tools like uh, Yammer or Slack and some of the other messaging, Skype, you know, those types of programs that millennials really brought into the workforce. And I use Slack a ton. So, you know, I'm like, oh, geez, now I have to go talk to people. I just got used to not talking to people. <laughs> I really like Slack. Uh, yeah, I do love Slack. Um, but that's, I think, what was most surprising to me when it comes to how they were going to use those channels. And it actually goes hand in hand with something I was just reading about today where how they're being recruited into the industry or into the workforce. They actually have a greater awareness than people probably even twice, twice their age, I mean, my generation, maybe Gen Y. Um, about the stuff they're putting out mm-hmm. on social media and the fact that, oh, yeah, people can go and look at that. Uh, <laughs> and that's an alarming number for p- people in the workforce today trying to like clean their social profiles. So that awareness, I think, is also leading them to be a little more reluctant with the digital channels. Sure. Oh, I mean, we've God. seen it in our own like personal. I have a 13 year old daughter. So, yeah. God, please uh, don't encourage me yet. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> we've yeah. seen it with some of our friends that are in the. Um, you know, early twenties or mid twenties where we're like, why aren't you on social media? Why aren't you on Twitter? Why aren't you on, you know, LinkedIn or whatever? And they're just like, nah, man, I'm not into that. You know, not going to be on Snapchat, not going to be anywhere. And you're just like, I'm like, how are you functioning? How, what, how do you know where to go and what to do? And they're just like, um, <laughs> well, they do the real time. They do like, you, you, you know, like get gag and stuff like that. Um, yeah. the next one's already come out, but they said they liked the, the WhatsApp. You yeah, know, like they all text have text it. threads I'm and like, stuff. Okay. Oh yeah. They're like, I want to, I want to choose who I want to talk to, yeah. and if I want to talk to them, then I'm gonna like, I'm gonna text this person, and I'm gonna talk to them that way, which is you know more direct, which is ironic because I feel like as I'm sitting on these uh, member associations or, or things like this where we're trying to engage with the, the younger audience and they're like, got to get on social, got to get on this, got to make sure that we're everywhere. And they're like, they're not even there. They right. don't even care. <laughs> right. No, they don't. Yeah. And they, they want to talk to you um, because they know that's basically a more direct way of getting information. Now they may use digital channels and sure. they may, yeah. they're very self-taught. Yeah. But, but yeah, the myths were something that really stood out to me in your presentation, but there was also something else that I felt, um, incredibly positive about was that Gen Z wants to work for a place where they can have multiple roles within one place of employment. So for me, that was super exciting because in water, like we have something for everyone. You know, we say that, we're the industry, whether you have a GED or a PhD, we got something for you. Um, whether inside, outside, whatever you want to do. So we know, um, we know we have that going for us at least. But yeah. what are some other characteristics that Gen Z are looking for in employers that may be wins for our industry too? And I think you kind of started to touch on them with the education piece. Yeah, so... Actually, and I think I even said in my presentation and when I when we met is this was an industry I didn't have a lot of knowledge uh, of. And so two things. One, doing some of the research ahead of time, just looking at um, some of the labor issues and and shortages you guys were preparing to face um, was similar to ones our clients have. It's just yours. Yours is even a bigger gap um, from my perspective. 
Um, the second thing though was I was able to see other presentations on that panel. And while I was waiting to join the panel, I was walking around talking to people and just seeing like different tabletops and stuff like that. And there was so much focused on education and development and training and really um, making sure that people felt like they understood the purpose and what they were doing and the larger mission and strategy of the job they had. And it was one of the video presentations, I think, when, on the panel I was on about just how much work's going into training and development for not just entry-level employees, but recruiting at the high school and the career tech um, level yeah. to get people into that field, which I think you guys are doing a really good job of because like you said, it's you have a lot to offer and a lot to learn in, but you're not um, averse or it's not new to try and look at how you're doing these training programs. Um, especially, I think the one I saw was a video game and the stats support that. I you know, have some of them up here is, yeah, so nearly 60% um, of Gen Z view YouTube as the preferred method of learning. So the fact is, is it readily available? Can they go find it? Is it already a format they understand? Um, this is a generation that might value credentials um, and training certificates more than even a degree because that means they've succeeded and thrived at their job. Yeah. So they're being established there, um, which I know, you know your industry definitely has in terms of you know, the different types of technicians and training and roles that are available. We, we did do some work for a utilities monitoring company where that was something that they were really working on from a training standpoint. Um, and then you guys also, it seemed like there were a lot of um, boot camp certification programs like that, that this generation really values. Mm -hmm. um, and then as we mentioned earlier, just about where the onus is, on the need for reskilling, which was a word that kind of popped up a lot when I was researching this presentation and I really liked, um, is understanding all the different ways that can impact the company, which you mentioned earlier, but this is a generation that is expecting it. So it's not, you know, boomers, Gen Z, I'm sorry, boomers, Gen X, millennials, they might see the onus more on the organization of like train me, develop my path, whereas Gen Z is coming in expecting it. So the hardest part you're going to have to do is make sure it's readily available because they're ready for it. If you don't have it, they're going to, that's when you're going to have the issue, yeah. um, which is completely opposite of what we've been dealing with from a generational standpoint. So everything I saw, heard and have read about in you know, the weeks past and leading up to giving the presentation was this is an industry that's really pretty focused on making sure the continuous training and development is a part of, of the job. Yeah, for sure. I think there is kind of a two way, a two way thing there. Like it makes me, it makes me excited that this generation kind of has this different view on education where, you know, you don't just have to get a degree in order to have a successful career. And there's so many different pathways and opportunities within the industry that you can kind of come in at any level um, and kind of work your way up and around uh, through just this web of opportunities that there are. And so I think we need to remember that and to capitalize on that. But also to speak to your point, I think from an internal perspective, perspective, we need to be incredibly mindful of the fact that they want this and they're thirsty for that. And so don't just stick them in a silo somewhere and, and say, well, you know, see you in 20 years or whatever, 30 years or whatever, like cross train them, send them places, send them to go get training, send them to conferences, mm -hmm. um, you know, invest in those things. Because 
you could, I mean, you could probably literally go to a different water conference of some sort every single day. Not yeah. even kidding. There's just something really? every, every, every single day. Huh. Yeah. Every week there's a different conference on a different topic or subject matter. And so, you know, take the, make sure that you're putting those things in your budget to invest in your folks and send them places. And if you are worried about like pushback or slack on, um, you know, what that means, what, how that looks when you're sending folks to go do that, like have some sort of requirement that when they come back, they have to give some sort of presentation or they have to commit to implementing something that they learned while they were there, or at least like sharing that information and not being Arian's favorite knowledge hoarders. Yeah. Not being knowledge hoarders. <laughs> right. Um, Especially for, uh, especially for the folks who don't come in in your like traditional degree path, you know, like I loved seeing in your presentation there uh, that Gen Z, the majority of them think that there are alternative ways to get a good education beyond college. And that's 100% true so needed in our so industry. Far. Yeah. Um, it's the perfect storm. And I don't know, that's not the right reference, but <laughs> it's the perfect rainbow it's unicorn a good storm. situation yeah, the perfect <laughs> rainbow unicorn. because yeah. we have such a need for the 18 19 20 year old to come in and start getting trained out of you at a treatment plant immediately um, right. in the distribution system you know at a wastewater treatment plant we need that right now and so for them to start coming out saying you know what i don't think i'm gonna go to college i think i'm gonna go get hands-on training and set myself up for a you know, fulfilling career day one after high school, like that's available and that's what we need. Yeah. And get in and start yeah. like, and then water's going to save the whole student loan debt. Yeah. Prices, I was going to say, like, get in and then have the utilities start paying for your college yeah. education, you know, like don't put yourself in a hundred thousand dollars in debt before you even get that job, you know, like, come on, we want you. Yeah, the water's <laughs> warm. Come on in. Yeah. Oh, well, well done. Well, well done. I like that. The, the water's, water's warm. warm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to be the first one to make a water pun. I love puns. Um, She's here all week, folks. No, so you guys hit on a couple of really good points. And I think it's worth noting. So Gen Z's parents are Gen X Mm -hmm. for the most part. Yeah. And Gen Y. So we'll we'll say Gen Y, Gen X. And you got to remember when Gen X, Gen Y went to school, which was fresh out of recession. Parents were like, you're going to go for four years. I'm not paying for all of them. You're going to learn this. You're going to do that. And you're going to get out and you're going to get a job. Mm-hmm. And it was value in education, but then turning that into value in a job. And so a lot of people in my generation that whose parents told them that, like you said in the beginning, I, I got in early and it was never a question of going back for more education or this or that. I was going to rely on working hard, learning the different positions and it was just a given I was going to work my way up in that organization. And I think Gen Z seeing that from their parents and hearing that, like, you're going to stop messing around. You're going to, you don't need to go for five or six years. You need the degree and then you're going to work hard and you're going to earn it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of a blending. Uh, It's like this version 2.0 of that mentality that we now have where it's like, that's going to manifest itself in maybe you don't need four years. Maybe you need two years, Mm -hmm. a two year degree. And, like my wife teaches high school marketing students. So she's like, if you know you're going into this, why not go to a specialty college? If you know you're doing this, why not just work straight through summer and get your job and be done, get your degree and be done in two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And you can join the workforce and join. And so she works out of a career, um, out, of a, out of a career center. So she sees the need for a lot of people in this industry. So she's like, why are we even messing around with that? 
Yeah. And I think that's just more of a norm now than it was before. So combined with the fact that they're ready to get in and learn and can be self-taught is going to lead to, I think it's really good for companies. They have huge opportunities with this workforce. If our can, if our economy can hold on here, um, yeah. I, I think there's some good things ahead, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, they, they see it for the reality that it is. Yeah. Good. So Ben, you're also a little passionate about engaged employees mm-hmm. and turns out employees actually make these great recruiters for your organization. Um, so workforce issues aren't just about recruiting though. Once you get them in the door, you have to train them, retain them, and the cost is incredibly expensive. Um, there are some shocking numbers out there. I want to know which ones are the most shocking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, kind of scared us. They were shocking. <laughs> well, it is right, and the the number right now is I think in the presentation I gave you guys back in June it was I'm just checking my facts here. I think it was twelve. <laughs> let's see. So we have thirty billion annually is what turnovers costing um, are basically our our U.S. econ the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. So think about that thirty billion in um, turnover alone. And when you combine that with the fact of what we were just saying about, um, positions that are left, uh, open or maybe not filled, or there's not enough people to get in and training that's taking all that into account. Now that's number, that number is up even from a few years ago because one unemployment is low. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, we have a better gauge on what we're actually able to track and measure in terms of lost productivity. And three, the number, the, the number of weeks that a job has sat open has gone up. So basically, I think it's gone from like eight weeks to 12 weeks in the last three or four years. So an open position can sit open for 12 weeks. And if you think that's three months out of a year, what it would cost you to do your job plus one, cost to look for, to hire somebody, um, you know, the, the interviewing and recruiting process. So all those numbers go into that. That's a huge number mm-hmm. um, that is really impacting the economy in a lot of ways because it's just straight up lost productivity. Um, the other thing is if you don't have those employees engaged, it's not just what you're losing in terms of by not having them there. It's what you're losing in terms of investing in them and then watching them walk out the door. So a couple of stats and probably what, you know, you guys are talking about some of the numbers that are scary. So 30%, I'll just hit, hit with a, hit you with a couple of these 30% of employees leave within the first six months of being hired. Mm. which is crazy. Yeah. What do you think about what goes into onboarding employees, especially in our line of work, right? So we have clients, we're in a service business. I just introduced you to a client and now that person is leaving. Uh, yep. So that's a huge impact to business. Um, the, I mean, when you consider engagement um, and what we're facing today, it says you know, 30 to 40% of employees feel that they aren't engaged at work. Oh, that makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is. And you guys talk, started talking about culture. That's a big reason why. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think it's, it, I just read an article in the Atlantic um, about when the economy's good, HR's job's a lot of fun because it's all about engaging employees and getting them into the workforce and understanding it. When the economy's bad, HR's job's terrible and relies on process and, and, and what we know HR like has to do during the downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what why HR is such a hot position right now because so many companies are looking for ways to get these employees engaged because that number is so high yeah. uh, unengaged. And when why that actually matters at the bottom line is because when you have employees that are, aren't engaged, 
they cost the company 85% more than an engaged employee. I 100% believe that. So basically it costs you twice the amount you're paying somebody to keep them there versus somebody who is engaged and happy in their job. Yeah, because most people don't leave. Well, in my, my opinion, most people don't leave a job. They leave a boss or a manager or someone who's toxic who works around them. Um, and life is too short. <laughs> right. right. And so, you know, they'd rather leave and go somewhere else. Whereas like you might, you might lose some incredibly talented people because it's normally like your best and brightest who just don't want to put up with that crap. And now you're left with, you know, these, these folks who are costing you 85% more than that wonderful person who just left. So, right. Well, you know, what causes that and you, you would, you guys would probably appreciate this just given the business line of business you're in, you know, we're in, we're in service industry. I mentioned earlier that I get to talk to you know, CEOs and leaders, senior leaders of companies and stuff like that. Um, and one of the questions I always ask is I like asking, how do you know somebody's doing a good job? Mm-hmm. Because there's like so much today about work, remote workforce and um, there's no true offices anymore. And it's like, how do you know somebody's actually working? <laughs> um, yeah. and, the, and the other thing is, who, what type of employees do you spend most of your time on? Because, and the answer always comes back, the, the trouble employees, the, the ones that need extra management or extra time. And when, I, when they hear themselves saying that, they're like, ah, I don't even like saying that. Because the reality is, they're spending that time on the disengaged employee that may or may not be happy regardless. Yeah. And instead of spending it on the engaged employee that can maybe have a greater return to the company, um, wants a bigger opportunity and is sitting here saying, Hey, I'm, I, I actually like where I work. I want to do right. a great job. And you're over here spending time over here. What about, Hey, t- let's let you and I talk. Yeah. And it always comes back as the case. And I, I don't know why that always is, is something but it's always the same answer. And when you think about how you spend your time in the, in the, in the vein of that stat of, you know, we're, we're 30 to 40% are, are disengaged with the company they work at, it really forces you to think about how you prioritize your day if you're in management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really, for me, speaks volumes of just how important learning better communication skills are because if you don't have them as a leader or a manager in your organization, I mean, I just... I don't know how you can be successful because uh, yeah. I, I just, I think about, um, you talked about remote working and I just read an article about that and it was talking about um, one of the most important things that a manager has to do is you have to be like explicit about what your expectations are and like w- direct about what you need from people because you're not seeing them every day. You can't just pop in and check like, don't assume that they know that you need them to do X, Y, Z and, and what you're expecting from them. Like you have to be really deliberate about it and purposeful about it. And that's a level of, um, that's a level of candor that I think is lacking in a lot of organizations. I think that a lot of people are afraid of kind of having that candid. Um, Cause I think that candor has been too often associated with, like you don't have to be a jerk to be candid, no, uh, you, no. you know, it's like candor is just about like saying what you mean and meaning what you say versus, you know, and you don't have to be a jerk in the delivery by that. So, right. well, but, it's funny because so it, we're seeing that right now. And so I'm, I'm from Ohio, I'm from Cleveland, mm-hmm. but I'm not a Browns fan. I'm an Indians and a Cassian, but I'm not a Browns <laughs> fan. I'm a Steelers fan. However, I really have enjoyed as a communicator 
Baker Mayfield and what he's done with the Browns. And not to take this down a sports tangent, but... <laughs> it's okay. Browns are actually related to the water industry. Okay. <laughs> Just ask Nyords. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I started following them after our last conversation. Yay! They yeah. so, love the Browns. Well, yeah. So, okay. So all we talk about is people wanting to speak their mind, right? Like you said, you can be candid without being a jerk. But the two aren't exclusive anymore because in this example where Baker Mayfield spoke his mind or maybe gave an honest answer in an interview, which people don't even do anymore in sports, he (laughs) got arrested for the next day for it. And I think it's going to be very interesting because he's a perfect representation of maybe what a Gen Z probably is, where it's like, what? You asked me a question, I answered it. Yeah. And I think it's going to force us as managers and in these positions to really recalibrate the tone and the way we talk to, to not only employees, but potential employees, yeah. as it's no longer about take an hour and present the strategy to me. If I can't understand the strategy in 10 minutes and what my role is and how I should be doing it, I'm, I'm probably not listening. And you have to engage people differently, maybe a little faster, maybe a little um, quicker with you know, getting to the point and maybe being a little bit more candid. But it's going to really change the way I think management um, is working with this generation coming in. Yeah. Because engaged employees and, inter- and internal communications has probably never been more important to an organization than it is right now. Absolutely. And, emo- and the emotional intelligence that it, that comes with that. And I mean, I love to your point that, yes, like sometimes people are taken aback when someone gives an honest, honest answer, but it's just yeah. learning the emotional intelligence of being able to um, listen yeah. to that thing, right. listen to something objectively and not take it so personally and, and see like, okay, but again, like if you deliver it in a way that isn't unkind or hurtful or, or something, you know, along that lines, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of, we're in a, we work in a hard skill industry that is trying to function in a soft skill world. And I feel like mm-hmm. if we don't work much harder to strengthen those skills, like it's just, it kind of scares me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and especially in B2B, you can have that direct tone. We do, we do a lot of work with B2B clients. You can have a very direct tone, very direct persona and get away with it because it's more of a tech field and people want to hear that from engineers. But here's the hard part. Teaching engineers the soft skills, it's okay. We're not asking them to change how they talk. That's actually why we like what they're saying and doing. But it's actually getting them to be maybe more nurturing or empathetic or compassionate to the person they are talking to. Like, they need your help for a reason. They're asking these questions for a reason. How you deliver it, you can say what you want, but how you deliver it, how you follow up and nurture yeah. is a skill that they don't necessarily have. So it's how do you blend those two things? Yeah. How do you talk human to humans? You know, like uh, right. essentially that's our, that's our, and that's our audience or that's our user. Our, they're humans. They just want a human answer. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, but Another tangent. So sorry. Like, say, I knew this was going to happen. I was like, I know. There's so many you have to break it into two parts. <laughs> I know. Oh, there'll be there'll be more. Trust me. Um, but getting back to this idea of employee retention and just the huge role that communication plays in that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we've got a lot of challenges, not just in water, but I think in the community, the communication landscape at large. So, what are some ways that you feel, from an internal perspective, that we're playing catch up? Yeah. So. Um, we talk a lot about this in internal communications um, and that's a big shift that our business has made in, in terms of who we're giving this presentation to, which is refreshing um, both for us and our clients because 
a lot of times it's marketing and communication professionals. We're actually giving this presentation, <clears throat> excuse me, on internal communications to C-level, to HR, um, to people outside of traditional communication roles. <clears throat> so it's hard for them to hear some of the things that we're talking about when we get yeah. into it. And like, no, we're doing a good job. We're, we're, we're communicating just fine. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's see how well we're doing. Um, but those areas that I think that they're catch, playing catch up is, um, you know, some, I, some that I feature in the internal comms piece is um, the way that they're communicating with employees, the methods are pretty outdated. Um, not necessarily people think like, well, we do email, we do this, we do that. When in reality, you might think that you're doing a good job by sending emails or you might think you're doing a good job by updating message boards, but maybe employees don't see that message board. Maybe um, they don't open those emails because the employees you're talking to are on a manufacturing floor. Um, so those methods need to be innovated. Um, the current communication um, that you need to get through, there's too much. That's another way. I think we've fallen prey to this employees. Total transparency means everything <laughs> when in reality it means the, the important things. Yeah. Um, so it's like we're force feeding everything to people and it's like, how do you delineate between what's important and what's not? And that gets lost. So people just tune it out. Um, there's, and that's my next point. There's no prioritization around what's coming through. So it's like, I, yeah, I got that email just as easily as I got that other email, but I don't know which one I should be reading. So mm. I didn't read either one of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Which is completely defeating the, the whole purpose. Um, there's no customizable communication. Um, especially when you consider there's five active generations in the workforce today. Um, people feel not only to the generation that they're in, it's like, well, I didn't want to read that because I don't normally read that. Or you actually sent, well, you sent what? You sent something to my home. I'm supposed to read the mail. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so it feels very like, uh, it's just corporate speak. Yeah. Um, and then to ties nicely, the last one ties nicely into the whole thing about Gen Z is looking at, um, two-way communication where they want to have a conversation versus being told or talked to mm -hmm. um, because they associate it with a chance to be heard. Um, and that's really hard today. It's funny because a, a couple of the conversations I've had recently um, with clients and potential clients are around how um, to humanize the C-suite a little bit to your previous point. Mm. And the one way they're trying to do it is through more, um, small group meetings, uh, more town halls, things like that. Um, and they're saying, well, those aren't, we thought that would work, but it's not having the return that we thought. And this is why um, the employees like the two-way communication, but they want two-way communication where they actually have a chance to contribute and talk back yeah. versus like, well, I'm not going to raise my hand in this room of 10 or 12 people or 25 or 20, you know, 25 or 30 people. So that's really an area that's falling behind that I think when you think of how a C-level somebody in the C-suite is spending their time really is going to have to reprioritize how they spend their time talking to employees on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. And while we were at NACO, we got to speak to um, the director at New Water in Green Bay. His name is Tom Sigmund, and he talked about how that very thing that people wanted to hear from him more as a director. So he started these, I think like weekly blogs called maybe monthly, I don't know, called Tom's Thoughts yeah. where he just yeah. kind of this is what's been on his mind. This is what he's been thinking about. This is what he's, you know, keeping him up at night. But then he also started doing these very informal uh, lunch meetings where it wasn't like a, you have to show up, but it was like, 
he's going to be there. And if you like want to come chat about something or, you know, that was your opportunity to have some face-to-face time and actually engage back and forth with yeah, your director. Went, like into, you know, the cafeteria area or the, the, um, the break room and just ate lunch there. And, you know, I can remember when I was in the city, um, we used to have this older building that, you know, everyone, everyone came and ate together. Yeah. All levels. And um, when we moved, physically moved from the old building to this brand new shiny building, um, it kind of segmented things. And the carpet folks, which were, you know, the directors, I was one of them. We were all guilty of it. Like we always end up eating in our own office. Yeah. And how much that changed the culture immediately. And it's like, why didn't we just pick up and go back to the break room? Like, we, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. 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 It's, it happens a lot. I'm guilty of the same thing. It's, and the problem is, is not, I'm not being, I need to force myself. That's, that's actually really good to say that. I need to force myself to reconsider that because most of the time people shut their door and eat because it's like, I want five, I want 10 minutes to like eat and not be seen. That's kind of my thing, isn't it? We could have a whole other podcast on me and eating and all my problems with business lunches. Oh my it's, gosh, let's do it. Uh, I wrote okay. a blog on like business lunch etiquette. It's, oh yeah, my God. it's like totally. the Seinfeld it's moment. Next, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's so anyway, so your point is a good one. Uh, you need to be out. Uh, and sometimes you don't want to say force yourself because it's like, oh, you had to force yourself to talk to me. It's like, no, not that. It's <laughs> I, I need to remind myself that mm-hmm. something I'm – doing and maybe not thinking is a big deal is actually is a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. Well, uh, successful internal comms, we believe, really comes from living by your core values and demonstrating and communicating in ways that demonstrate you valuing your people. Um, so this is easy to say, but how do we make this a reality? And I want to know in your opinion, what are the five components of uh, an internal communications program? Well, the good news is I think a lot of companies are doing some of these. Mm-hmm. They tell you like, oh yeah, we have a good internal comms program. Sure. And then they would miss like maybe a couple of these, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the, and this is by no means, you know, the be all end all, for, but from my perspective, especially in B2B, um, when looking at internal communication, there are five critical elements. Um, one's the employee experience. We've talked a lot about Gen Z today and what they experience. That differs from other generations, but that experience, what what greets them when they come in, they want on the job, mm-hmm. h- how you communicate with them, their feeling, what their family thinks. Like if I if you were to call my family, that's a bad example because I worked for 20 years, but they would give you a pretty accurate review of IKEA. And I love when I see family members liking IKEA's Facebook posts. And because mm-hmm. that means like they're so proud of their kid. And they know the company they work at is cool. So like yeah. that's an employee experience that, that I like. Employee engagement, we spend a ton of time on. You have to have an engagement program that probably is driven by HR. I think the mistake a lot of times people make is thinking it needs to come from marketing or from a C-level specific person. Trust HR, especially in this time that we're in right now. This is what they're trained for. Um, training and development. Um, and really making sure that those training programs are in place, even if it's just a, even if you only have two things you do a year, mm-hmm. more, that's something that's more than zero things you do a year. So <laughs> right. I mean, that's I, like our professional development. Yeah. Can I but, say something to that? Yeah. Um, I want to 
add, like when I worked for the city, we kind of took on our own um, employee engagement program (laughs) and listening to what you're just saying, it really just hit me hard. Like I shouldn't have done that because it, I wish that I would have turned to our HR because in our world, um, it then became a, well, that group of people didn't like what we did last time. And that group of people did. So if I do that again, or if we do that later on, like it, it just kind of created more, um, drama or issues amongst the employees because here I'm choosing what we're doing or we're mm-hmm. together choosing what the whole department is doing for right. team building or engagement or whatever it is. And it's obviously, you know, rubbing some people the wrong way when I could have just handed this over to a kind of a third party, the HR person and spoke to them about, this is what I'd like to see the department going in the direction of and letting them do what they're doing best. You know, right. Like, right. <sighs> Well, you, you know, the, lessons learned. so my COO and I meet with, um, our HR team once a quarter. And I think probably two years ago, if you would have told people that they'd be like, Oh, HR is telling on us or they're like, they're, they're talking about stuff that you would assume yeah. people think about. Well, now they know they're actually holding us accountable because, you know, we're talking about our review program. We talk about, you know, are we delivering on, some of the things we've talked about in terms of being progressive and ahead of the curve and flexible um, workforce and balance days and things like that. So it's really putting us in a position of accountability and it's important because you lose track of some of those things um, in the position you're in because you don't think about it every day. Yeah. Well, that, and that actually goes to the the fourth component, which is HR. Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of times um, HR is a, it's sort of like maybe the way you operate with office. Exactly. Forms, paper pushing, stuff like that. It is so much. It is not that at all. Yeah. Um, and today I, I was reading recently about um, how HR um, has to really take on a new role today. Like they need to be a wellness counselor, a financial counselor, an advisor, um, uh, you know, things, especially with people coming into the workforce that they don't know how to do some of these things. Mm-hmm. Their role has completely changed. Um, so, and it's going to change again. But if you don't have an HR strategy and an HR lead in place mm-hmm. to, to spearhead that, you're, you're going to be behind. Um, and then finally, it's crisis communications. And I think people think crisis is bad, which of course it is. Um, and I probably should change that to like proactive communications. You know, I think <laughs> the crisis is the one that resonates. Um, because today, anything, literally anything could happen. So mm-hmm. scenario planning, messaging, making sure you have your right spokesperson, media trained and um, all those bases covered is, is, is it's always been critical, but today you don't have a, an opportunity to react at all. So you have to have it in place. Absolutely. We learned that you have six minutes in a previous interview to react, um, online, online yes. or yeah. someone else has that story out. Yep. And so it's super important. And yes, the, I don't want to say cure to crisis communication, but you definitely need proactive communication to have a proper crisis communication. Yeah. Yes. If you don't yeah, have trust yeah. built uh, ahead of time, then you're starting from square one in the midst of a crisis. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's, we do a lot of crisis communication and um, most, I think people think there's a secret sauce or recipe and reality is the, the very first session is just basically sitting down and going through what's in existence and uncovering, like you said, do you have 
anybody that can mobilize quickly? Do you have any prepared messaging? Those kinds of things. A lot of times they don't. It's not because they did it poorly. Just because they grew as a business and never really had to be in that position before. So it's just a growing pain that sometimes people ignore. Mm -hmm. Um, Agree 100%. So I think all of those are five like key areas that I think will make for a great internal comms program. Um, And I like that you talk about where you start from square one, because that kind of makes me think about um, a lot of people when they, when they start from square one, they, they're brainstorming. And uh, in one of the last conversations that we, we talked about you, we talked about brainstorming and that, and something that you said really stuck with me and you said that brainstorming has been replaced by education. And I love that. So can you dive a little bit more into, to what you meant when you said that? Yeah. Well, I told you, I think what we talked is to brainstorming just annoys me because <laughs> not, not because I don't like it, but because it doesn't mean the same thing it used to. It's, 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 it's hard to facilitate and lead brainstorming sessions because our attention spans are different. People have a different view of meetings. And a lot of times our clients, they're so busy with other things, you know, their day job, so to speak. And they'll tell you right up front, we're wearing so many hats. So what we're expected to do and what we want to do is actually elevate them um, not only with ideas, but also educate them on how those are applied and used. So while it used to be like, hey, let's get together and brainstorm. Now it's let's get together and hear what you guys think um, or hear what you think we should be doing. And so we're coming in with an education around it. We might say, here's three big ideas for you to consider. Um, but in, as part of that, we're going to go a little bit deeper in how, why, why we recommended those, why, how to apply them. So it, I think the days of like an idea are gone because mm-hmm. if you have somebody in a room, you need to not only sell them on the idea, but get their approval and show them how to get started and get started all at the same time. So yeah. it's turned into this educational process that we've actually, um, even in the last year built into our discovery. Mm-hmm. is an understanding of the education that we're going to bring um, to our clients so they know kind of the way we want to work, which always resonates because people are like, oh, so you're going to, so you're going to handle that. You're, you're going to take care of that. You're not going to give me an idea, then um, we have to run with it, which of course, any good agency would say like, we'll take that off your hands anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think taking it and advancing it a few steps is kind of where we're going. So yeah, the day is a brainstorming with like fun brainstorming icebreakers and toys and like pizza parties are unfortunately gone. I think those are, yeah. Well, I think we, I think we've evolved into um, like us personally have evolved into more of the design thinking and, in the different tactics and and things that you use um, to do that. So while we still call them icebreakers, they're, they're kind of like when you used to go into elementary school and you would sit down and there'd be a math problem on the board and it just kind of get your brain thinking and going, yeah. you know, that's, that's the kind of icebreakers I like is let's get them like, get them, get their brain moving. Yeah. I they're their mouth moving with pizza. Yeah. I need their brain moving. They have a you reason. Can bring it into the, yeah. You can actually bring it into the session. We'll still do some of those um, just as a way to show them like different thinking and stuff like that. But um, yeah, just using that and then being like, okay, where do we go now? Yeah. You're, you're going to have clients sitting there going, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, for? we've had that. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. Well, but yeah, but reason. then it's, there's a reason, but there's a method to all the madness. But I also think that people go into what they call quote unquote brainstorm sessions 
with the wrong with the wrong idea where they think not like the wrong idea but like most people are like oh we're going to have a brainstorm session that means we're going to like talk through these different things or this challenge that we have and at the end of this conversation we're going to have the most brilliant idea ever and that's really not right. how it works hours, yeah. that's really yeah. like how you get the mind going and then it's when you leave and you start making connections with like the outside world. That's like kind of when that creativity has an opportunity to strike because you start seeing that it's fresh on the brain and then you start like making connections in new ways and things like that. And then come back and regroup and talk about, well, like what came to your mind after that? You know, it's right. uh, it's like this process. It's not just like this magical unicorn that you're going to come into this meeting and, you know, an hour, two hours, four hours later, you're going to walk out with this like innovative world changing idea. Like there is, it's process, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and, and like even that educating them on what they're, what the expectation is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like you said earlier, it all comes down to, are you a good communicator or not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, can, can you define the expectation? Can you, can you simplify what it is we're supposed to be doing? Do I understand what it is we're doing and why we're doing it? My role in it. Um, it all really comes down to that. So yeah, it's, and those expectations are higher and it's harder today because of all the noise and clutter and our attention spans are completely shot to hell. Yeah. And it's, it's true. We do have tiny, tiny attention spans. Yes, goldfish. <laughs> um, so super fun chat. Can't wait to have more. There I will know. be more in the future, but we've, we got a lightning round that we're going to wrap up with. Okay. okay. Are you, you ready? ready for this? I think so. Dun, 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 dun. I need some like music. Whenever we uh, do, do, do. No. no, you can like throw some in. I need, okay. I need to start doing that. Then. All right. Okay. What's your favorite book right now that you can recommend to us? So I had to, I just actually looked up the author because I had a blank. Um, but the book I'm obsessed with and is on my desk is The Disney Way. Ah, love if it. If you have read it or haven't read it, it's the by Bill Capodigal and Lynn Jackson, but it's the third edition. This is like morphed um, over love time. It. So yeah, the book is awesome. I actually went through a Disney Institute, um, which was really cool. And uh, I recommend that to anyone. It was just like a one day workshop with some Disney folks. And it was just amazing. I mean, of course, like it's Disney. Oh, yeah. And I'm a huge Disney fan anyway. So there's so much like behind the scenes stuff in that book. So much. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. Their brainstorm sessions are legit. (laughs) Yeah. Now, if you're you're Disney, you can brainstorm. Yeah. Y'all got this. Okay. Um, what is something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Um, I, so I have, uh, it's, it's nothing exciting, but I have an industry feed on my, on TweetDeck where I just basically go through, um, all the different, and it's made up of, you know, things you would expect to find on it, like Mashable, but it's also, um, like some HR blogs and HR, um, personalities and just try to get a very different perspective of communications. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also go through LinkedIn because I have a pretty good network of people that don't mind me bugging them. Um, so I, I kind of just kind of round robin and go through like, what's up when we get together, what'd you learn today? What's, what's new? I love um, that. And I'm just, waiting for my, my question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at, I'll add you in. You're, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, tra- I'm taking it slowly. I, I put you on the mailing list. You did. Next, I'm going to start bugging you on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I like it. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Feel free. Yeah. yeah. Cool. No, I like that. I like um, um, using social media as a way to, and, and you can set things up like that where you mm-hmm. see what you want to see and, and you don't have to like go scrolling and, and look for it. So that's yeah. a great tip. 
Um, okay. So in our, uh, in our line of business, you know, we were dealing with behavior change. And so sometimes we would have people tell us that what difference does it make if I make this change? I'm just one person. It's not like I'm going to change the world or anything. And uh, we wholeheartedly disagree because we think that change can be contagious and you never know what something you do could inspire in others. So uh, what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Um, so the easy answer is like, don't be a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except that's super hard for people. Apparently. Right. It's just too easy of an answer, right? It's like, <laughs> it's literally, you don't have to be nice. Or Kindness. You, you know, just, yeah. Just say, just, you know, just respect each other. Um, but that's, you know, that's like kind of saying that you want to cure world hunger, but, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I would say, um, it, it's, it's communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people get lost in the fact that communication is this big process and a really hard thing to do um, when in reality it's not. Yeah. And I try to live that at work and I've not always succeeded. So I'm not saying I, I'm, I, I follow that advice all the time. Um, and I, you know, I am married, which means I'm a terrible communicator. <laughs> Husband's just sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Um, that's probably going to get me in trouble with the ASA, the new uh, gender stereotyping police that's out there. Um, Sorry, husbands that are good communicators. Um, But the other is (laughs) at this from um, just trying to, you know, when you say simplify communication, I had a, and this is the last thing I'll say, I had a professor in college that used to be a newspaper editor and he said, write like you talk. Mm. And, and I was like, how about talk like you talk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so my writing's not like, it's not fancy. It's not like, like use, people use extra words in it. Like at this moment, the current moment, the cur- it's like, no, just, you wouldn't say that if you're talking to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, how do you, how do you talk? Just, just talk, just write. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We get, we get lost. I think sometimes in trying to sound smart when you don't have to, you can just communicate. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Ben. Yeah. I appreciate that from yeah. on so many different angles. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, for real, like I have enjoyed your newsletter thus far. I yes. can't wait to see what conversations you're starting on LinkedIn. Um, and I definitely see some future conversations coming. Because uh, I just, I think that we're, one thing that really resonated with me as we were talking is I think that uh, we're kindred spirits in, in in many ways, especially, I didn't even get to ask you about the whole like keeping communication simple thing. So I'm glad that you kind of touched on that a little bit because we're, oh, yeah. we're big believers of that as well. But I definitely wanted to thank you for spending some time with us today. And uh, we appreciate that. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. I, I have been looking forward to this and uh, I apologize. I think I blew through our time limit and Ants got really long winded, but hopefully it was productive and, and people enjoy it. It's totally hey, fine. but before we go, you have your own podcast. I want you to give a shout out to that. So where can people find you on yours? Oh yeah. So um, Ben Thinking season one was earlier this year and it was just basically five interviews with five people I found interesting over my career. Mm-hmm. that have done cool. different things in communications. Um, and that's on Ikea. That's off of Ikea.com on our Think About It section, which is our blogs and podcasts and infographics. There's basically industry info. Um, and I'm getting ready to sketch out season two, which is, um, you'll find this interesting, is going to be on generations. 
because this has been such a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured because there's five active generations, what I'm going to do is one episode with each generation. Nice. Yes. So I'm Gen Z. I mean, let's face it. Gen Z is going to be the most interesting because I'll probably have like some nine-year-olds in the mix. Um, <laughs> but I think it'll be good just to get different perspective. And I'll ask kind of the same questions as they go through. Um, so I'll probably start production on that in the fall. Love it. Yes. Yeah. So check that out. Check out their website. Sign up for their newsletter. It's been um, incredibly interesting to me. So um, check it out. So thanks again, Ben. Yeah, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, Those who tell the stories rule the world.